following is the scripture reading and sermon from our weekly worship at First Lutheran Church in Minot, North Dakota. A reading from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 26, verses 1 through 11. When you have come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance to possess, and you possess it and settle in it, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground which you harvest from the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall put it in a basket and go to the place that the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. You shall go to the priest who is in office at that time and say to him, Today I declare to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. When the priest takes the basket from your hand and sets it down before the altar of the Lord your God, you shall make this response before the Lord your God. A wandering Aramean was my ancestor. He went down into Egypt and lived there as an alien, few in number, and there he became a great nation, mighty and populous. When the Egyptians treated us harshly and afflicted us by imposing hard labor on us, we cried to the Lord, the God of our ancestors. The Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction our toil, and our oppression. The Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with a terrifying display of power, and with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground that you, O Lord, have given me, you shall set it down before the Lord your God and bow down before the Lord your God. Then you, together with the Levites and the aliens who reside among you, shall celebrate with all the bounty that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house. The word of the Lord. Please join in reading the psalm with me responsively. Psalm 91. You who live in the shelter of the Most High, who abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Almighty. Because you have made the Lord your refuge, the Most High your dwelling place. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. You will tread on the lion and the adder, and the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Those who love me, I will deliver. I will protect those who know my name. When they call to me, I will answer them. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue them and honor them. With all my The New Testament reading is from Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 13. 
The word is near you, on your lips and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For one believes with the heart and so is justified, and one confesses with the mouth and so is saved. The scripture says, No one who believes in him will be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all and is generous to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The word of the Lord. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the fourth chapter. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for forty days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil has finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Well, today for the first Sunday in Lent, we have what we usually start Lent off with, which is the story of the temptation of Jesus. And today we hear it in the Gospel of Luke. To give a bit more context of where we are in Luke, um, where chapter 4 is where our reading comes from. But right before this, in chapter 3, we have three different stories, kind of, of Jesus getting to this point. The first is 
Actually, before Jesus is even on the scene, we have John the Baptist who is out preparing the way for the Lord, proclaiming that he, in fact, is not the Messiah, but that the Messiah was coming and he was preparing the way for him. Then in the middle of John the Baptist, we have Jesus baptized. Remember this story? He's there. Um, It's very short in the Gospel of Luke, but in Jesus' baptism, as he comes out of the water, God's voice declares Jesus to be his son, the beloved with whom he is well pleased. And then the last little section before we get to the temptation of Jesus is kind of a boring section of Luke in chapter 3 at the end. At first glance, it's just a genealogy listing a whole bunch of people that we don't know, but it's actually showing Jesus' lineage. And when you look closer, um, as a book I was reading suggested that I do, you discover in there that King David is actually part of Jesus' family line. The Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, had many prophecies that the Messiah would be a descendant of the King of David. So this genealogy shows that Jesus comes from the line of King David and shows yet again his uh, worthiness to be Messiah. So we have these three instances here of Jesus' identity being confirmed in chapters 3. And what happens next? The devil challenges Jesus three times in the wilderness. We're told the Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness for this time. And there Jesus is um, tempted by the devil, basically calling in to question, are you really the Son of God? It's questioning Jesus' identity and his calling that he is here for. And the devil says a couple of times, Are you the Son of God? Like really calling into question who Jesus was. Now, a a note about the devil that's kind of interesting. So exactly what you think about the devil, whether it's being a literal figure walking around or some kind of spirit roaming the earth or that the devil is the manifestation of evil in this world or if the devil is even just the pain that humans inflict upon one another or the devil is the voice that's in our mind calling us to shame and self-hatred and fear. Whatever you think about that, Jesus faces that voice head on. In Greek, the word for devil is actually diabolo, the root word for diabolical. So it's not actually used in this context here as a name. It's more like the diabolical one or the accuser or the slanderer or the deceptor. It's more of an adjective than a proper name. But anyways, this voice of the diabolical one tempts Jesus to give up his identity and his calling for the sake of the easy way out. With the first challenge that we have, this diabolical one prompts Jesus to fulfill his desire for food by performing basically a magic trick. Turn this rock into bread. Then it's on to political power and glory that can be all Jesus if he just abandons his identity and worships this diabolical one. And then the final temptation is one where there is an attempt to put God on trial of sorts, test God's power, if you will, to save Jesus by purposefully throwing yourself off from this high point and endangering Jesus' self. So, Every time Jesus responds, and again on this third time to this test, Jesus responds as he did every other time with words of Scripture to refute this voice and the offers it makes. Jesus says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. We are then told that this diabolical one 
when he had finished every test. So maybe there was a few more tests that we're not told about. Kind of interesting to think about. But nonetheless, after he's done with what he is doing, he departs for a while. And as I was reading this story, and maybe you noticed it too, it feels like in this, the timeline of this is kind of weird. It's like warped feeling to me, like Jesus is in the wilderness, and then he's, or he's baptized, then he's led into the wilderness, and then he's on a steeple of some kind, and then he's in a city, and he's back in the wilderness. It's like, how long did all of this take? What is going on in these 40 days? It's, it's like a wonky sense of time. But I have to say, based on my own times of kind of wilderness wanderings, if you will, those challenging, hard, lonesome times when the world is upside down, whether it's from dealing with grief or health problems or relationship conflicts or job stresses or debt problems, when you are in a wilderness time, time itself feels kind of strange and weird. And I think that's what maybe is going on here with Jesus. But anyways, as we look at this, what we call the temptation of Jesus story, we know it wasn't his only time on earth when he was tempted. It's not like Jesus only faced three temptations his whole time here on earth. I mean, we're not necessarily told this, but you have to think that Jesus was tempted at least a little bit to maybe smack a disciple upside the head every once in a while when they, for the hundredth time, did not understand what he was saying or they called into question what he was saying. Or you have to think that at least once or twice when Jesus did a miracle like healing a blind man or he fed 5,000 people that maybe once Jesus just wanted to like point to himself and be like, yeah, I did that. But he doesn't. Every time, time and again, he points to God. His Father is the one who made it possible to do whatever it was that he was doing. I mean, and then even on a little more serious note, look at our stained glass window right up here. It depicts Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane asking God if there is any way to prevent his upcoming death and to take this cup from him. He faces even this temptation of death, imminent death, by proclaiming, not my will, but your will be done. So temptation is something that Jesus faces, and not just in this story. And I think that's, from my perspective anyways, pretty great. Because temptation, for me, is all around us. The voice of the deceptor, whatever that means, is very present and very real anywhere and always. Being tempted to ignore or deny our identity as God's beloved children and being tempted to place our trust in anything and everything except God is nothing new at all. I mean, really, it's part of being human. The church has traditionally called this sin. Trusting anyone and anything above God is basically our Christian definition of sin. Whether that is power, money, security, status, stuff, casting others into outgroups so that we can be in, whatever it is, looking and trusting in these things for our identity and our hope, that is where our, the root of our sin lies. We then profess that we are, that is why we profess that we are helpless to save ourselves from this draw and temptation of sin, and that we are in need of a Savior, one who has withstood these temptations, even the temptation of saving himself from an unjust death on a cross, that stained glass window. 
through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, the world received the power to become children of God and have a new identity, not by our own deserving or our own merit, but by the steadfast love and faithfulness of God through Jesus Christ. There are many voices calling us, deceiving us, alluring us to trust what it has to say over what God has to say for us. I think back to a voice that I don't even know where it came from exactly. It came from a kid, not like a creepy way. But this voice when I was in like third grade, I think, maybe fourth grade, and I was on the playground. And I remember a kid told me, you're ugly. You have a gap in your teeth. That's weird. And from that moment on in like third grade or whatever, that gap in my teeth for a long time really bugged me. I thought that that voice was true. I, I was weird. I didn't have straight teeth. I had a hole in my teeth. I could stick a toothpick in it. That was weird and gross, especially in third grade. But I came to learn that you, even as an adult, have a choice to believe a voice or to ignore it. But in third grade, I believed that voice. And it's taken me time to realize that that's just part of who I am. I mean, part of what God says that I am and that you are and that all of us are is that we are made in the image of God, whatever we look like. And I mean, whether you have a gap in your teeth or um, less hair up on top of your head or a little bigger belly these days, we are made in the image of God. And that is the voice we strive to listen to and believe, not the voice of the one saying you're ugly. How then do we respond to this free gift that God has given us, this claim that you are beloved children of God, that we have received the grace and salvation we could not earn by ourselves? Do we continue to trust those deceptive voices? Do we withdraw from the world and all of the temptations we have and live in a basement somewhere? Or do we enter fully into this world that God has created, trusting in God's voice of grace and God's claim on us in these waters of baptism, that God's grace and mercy is sufficient for us? For Christians, traditionally, we claim we are, especially for Lutherans, that we are This freedom we have in Christ allows us not to withdraw, but rather to enter fully into this messy world to love and to serve our neighbor and to proclaim the voice of the one who is life, not death. So what does all of this mean for us as we begin another Lenten journey here at First Lutheran Church this year in the midst of war and pandemics again and global climate crises? What does this voice have to say for us? Well, it has to call us as individuals and as a church into a life of service and of change, a life of honesty and a life of proclaiming freedom for all. Lent for the church has always been an intentional time for us as God's people to reflect on our lives, to hold a mirror up and honestly look, to make changes. We call that repentance to the way we live that help us to love God and to love our neighbor more fully. This doesn't eliminate those voices and those temptations that are out there, but it gives us the perspective and a means of facing those temptations head on, listening to that voice of God rather than the voice of the diabolical one. As Jesus responded to each temptation and to that deceptive voice with Scripture, 
we immerse ourselves in Scripture. This year, we immerse ourselves in the 23rd Psalm this Lent to help us remember who it is our shepherd is and whose voice it is that we listen to. The practices of Lent, prayer, fasting, sacrificial giving, worship, Scripture reading, service, all of these opportunities help us to grow in faith, hope, and love. And it helps us learn to block out the voice of the deceptive one, and to hear the voice of our good shepherd. So people of God, may we this Lenten season and always enter into this world trusting in our identity as people of God and trusting in our freedom that is given to us freely through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen.